We are concluding our series on choices this morning, and I'm so glad you all made the choice to be here and to participate. I'm glad uh, Derek chose to lead the songs he chose to lead today. And some of those songs we've been working on with Bible Drill, he's been teaching that, and I'm so happy for those of you who chose to participate with Bible Drill and support the children with that so you learn these songs and you could help us out today. We've been talking about a lot of things we make choices about, being happy or sad or our attitude toward other people or being a friend or an enemy or how spiritual we're going to be or how much work we're going to do in the kingdom of God. And I want to conclude the series this morning talking about choosing to be saved or to be lost. That's a choice. It's a choice whether or not we're saved or a choice whether or not we're lost. Uh, we'll get to James in a little bit from the scripture reading, but right now turn your Bibles with me over to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. And as you turn over there, uh, let me remind you there are many in the world today who do not believe that it's a choice whether or not you're saved or not. Most denominations today embrace Calvinism in one form or another. And part of Calvinism is that God chose who was going to be saved and who was going to be lost before he even created the world and before they were born. And you've got no choice about that. You know, I am so happy our God is not that mean and ugly and hateful. That he would choose some people to go to hell before they were ever born. Because I don't know if I could serve a God like that. Thankfully, that's not the case. That we have a choice whether or not to be saved or not. And you remember Calvinism. This doctrine goes like this. That if God chose you to be one of those who are saved, he's going to send the Holy Spirit upon you and make you get saved. That's where that phrase, have you been saved? You know, has the Holy Spirit come upon you to make you get saved? Uh, and then the other part of that is if you've not been chosen by God to be saved, he's just going to leave you alone and not do anything to you. And you're just going to go to hell. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says something totally different. And we have a choice which we're going to believe. Are we going to believe the Bible or are we going to believe these denominational doctrines out there in the world today such as Calvinism? In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, talking about God, says, God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? God does not want anybody to be lost. God has not chosen that anybody goes to hell. God wants everybody to be saved. And we make a choice then. He wants us to be saved, but he's given us the choice as to whether or not we're going to obey him so that we are saved or if we're not. Let's look at one other scripture in this regard. Second, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. And there are some very interesting words here that Peter uses that reflects God's attitude toward this. Second Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is slow about his promise. As some count slowness. Excuse me, I'll reread that. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. 
Now, now think about this for a second. If God had already decided who was going to be saved and who was going to be lost, and if he is, he, for those he, he decides going to be saved, if he's going to make the Holy Spirit come upon them and make them get saved, he wouldn't have to be patient at all, would he? But see, that's not the case. The Lord is patient. The uh, New American Standard says not wishing. Or, or your translation may say not willing that any should perish. God does not wish and does not will that anyone perishes. God wishes everybody would make the choice to obey him and to be saved. Salvation is a choice. And I want us to end this series talking about this choice. That there's going to be no one in hell who didn't choose to be there. Now, they may not have looked at it that way while they're on earth, but that's the fact of the matter. Everyone who's in hell has made the choice to be there or the choices that result in it. The same thing's true about being in heaven. There's no one going to be in heaven who didn't choose to be saved by obeying the Lord. Turn your Bibles with me over to Acts chapter 2. And I want to look at Peter's sermon on Pentecost. Uh, in Acts chapter 2 and, and beginning in verse 37. And you'll remember here as, as Peter is preaching and, and some people, Acts 2 verse 37, who were pierced to the heart said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? In other words, what shall we do to be saved? I want you to notice that Peter didn't say, there's nothing you can do if God has decided you're going to be saved. He's going to send the Holy Spirit on, upon you to make you get saved. There's nothing you can do about it. No, he called on them to make a choice whether to obey the Lord. And some, about 3,000 souls, made that choice. But I tell you what, there were a whole lot more than 3,000 people there. And most people didn't make the choice that day. And so he says then in verse 38, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what you're to do and you have to make the choice. That is why he says in verse 40, And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them. Now think about this for a second. <laughs> if you don't have a choice about it, if, if, if God has decided whether you're saved or lost before you were born, and if you're going to be saved, he's going to send the Holy Spirit and make you do it whether you want to do it or not, why would the apostle exhort anybody? Why would you even preach if God's just going to make you do it? But this is what he said. Save yourselves. That's the King James translation, or the New American Standard, standard be saved. In other words, you have a choice about it. There is something for you to do. That's like the illustration I've used it before. There's a guy in the ocean, and he's drowning. You know, and a, and a ship comes by, and someone from the ship throws out a lifeline. They pull him in, and he gets aboard. He's wringing wet. You know, he says, thanks for saving me. But he had to do something, didn't he? He had to grab the lifeline. He had to hold on while he was pulled to the ship, and yet he got on the ship. He said, thanks for saving me, but he still had to do something. And God has thrown out a lifeline, and we have to do something. 
Now, now we still say thank you for saving me, but we still have to do something. We have to do something too or we're going to be lost. Just like the man in the ocean, he had to do something or he was going to be lost. And it was his choice, wasn't it, whether or not to grab on the lifeline or not. And it's our choice also. Now, over in James chapter 2, if you will turn back there from, from our scripture reading. So salvation is a choice. You know, and, and the type of faith we're going to have is a choice. You know, we decide what type of faith to have. In verse 14, James 2, 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Now, we make a choice to either have the faith that saves us or the faith that doesn't save us. That's our choice. And look down at verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. It is our choice to have the faith that does what God says, an obedient faith, the faith that works, a living faith. That is our choice. And then verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So this is the other kind of faith. You know, we can have the faith that the demons have. Now they believe and they shudder, but they don't obey the Lord. Or we can have the faith where we believe and we shudder out of reverence to God and we do what he says. That's our choice. Now James gives a few examples here. We read about that. The first one is Abraham. And he believed he offered up Isaac and his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. And the next one was Rahab. And Rahab was like Abraham. She received the spies and sent them out another way. So we have to choose what kind of faith are we going to have. That's like the illustration about the, 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 the house that's on fire and the fireman comes in in the middle of the night and he wakes the people up and says, your house is on fire. He says, follow me. And one person, you know, follows the fireman and the other person does not follow the fireman. That was a choice. Do you believe the fireman or not? Well, they both believed that the house was on fire. They both got up. But the fireman said, follow me. He knew the safe way out. One followed and the other chose not to. The one that followed the fireman was saved. The other that didn't follow the fireman was not saved. That was a choice. What kind of faith? They both had faith. One obeyed the fireman and was saved. One didn't obey the fireman and was lost in the fire. That was a choice. And they suffered the consequences or received the reward because of that. Now let's look at some examples of saving ourselves. Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I know that you know this scripture very well, but turn over there with me because I want to point something very important, very important out that we've not ever talked about, at least I've not talked about here. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. Now here Peter, remember this is the same fellow over in Acts chapter 2, that when he was asked, what men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And then he kept on exhorting them, be saved or to save yourself. This is the same guy. Now he's explaining this a little bit. He's, he's got an analogy here in verse 20. 
just in the middle of things here, who were disobedient. Now, these are the people, and Noah, uh, these were the people during the times of Noah that were disobedient. Now, he's talking about Noah here just a little bit later. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, remember, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. During this time of building the ark, he was preaching. And he was telling people the word of God. But only eight souls were saved. I want you to notice something. The book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, says that God had grace toward Noah. Noah was saved by grace, and he had to do something. He had to build the ark to be saved through water. And Peter says there is an antitype, or verse 21, your translation, New American Standard may say, corresponding to that. In other words, just like Noah, who was saved by grace, he had to do something. So the same thing is true for us today. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Are we saved by grace through faith? Yes. But do we have to do something? Yes, we do. What is it? It's not build an ark. It is to obey the Lord to be baptized for the remission of our sins, just like Peter said on the day of Pentecost. And he says, not the removal of the dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's not about getting wet in water. Some people say, the water, that's not got any miraculous power in it. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. It's not about getting wet in water, Peter says. It's about obeying the Lord and then making our appeal through the way he's commanded for our salvation. Go also with me over to Acts chapter 22. And I want to look at, I want to look at the example of Paul. Because, again, this is a very good example. It points out to us so well that he had to make a choice. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, here he is recounting his salvation. And remember, as had been explained in the historical account in Acts chapter 9, that the Lord sent this man named Ananias to tell him what he's to do. And he went to him and he, and he did that. In verse 16, now Ananias says, Now why do you delay? Or your translation may say, why are you waiting? In other words, Paul was delaying. He was waiting. Remember, he had been praying and fasting for three days up to this point. After he, is, he was blind, after seeing the Lord. Remember, he had heard the gospel preached. Obviously, he knew what the gospel said. He was persecuting Christians and dragging them off into prison and doing his best, best to see that they would be put to death. He knew the gospel message. Remember in Acts chapter 26, verse 14, that the Lord says he was kicking against the goads. He was making the choice not to obey. And Ananias says, why do you wait? Why are you delayed? The Lord said, why do you keep kicking against the goads? A goad was a prick that was used to, to on, like an animal such as, such as an oxen that was pulling a cart, and they would take this prick, and they would prick the animal to try to get them to get up. Come on, let's go a little faster. You know, Why are you waiting? Come on, pull this cart. And the Lord said, why are you doing that, Paul? Why are you choosing not to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why are you resisting? Why don't you do it? 
Well, back in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Ananias said, Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. What did Paul have to do? He had to get up. He couldn't just stay where he was at. He had to get up and he had to do something. And he had to be baptized. Now notice, when he was baptized, his sins were washed away. Ananias says, Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. Now, I want us to notice that there are a lot of people in the world and a lot of denominations out there. They say, no, your sins are not washed away when you're baptized. They are washed away when you pray a prayer of faith receiving Jesus into your heart. And the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Nobody in the Bible was ever saved that way. As a matter of fact, nobody ever thought they could be saved that way for about 1,500 years after Christ. That's when they came up with that one. And here's a choice. Are we going to believe what the Bible says or what some guy says with some religion somewhere on TV or the radio or something such as that? That is our choice. Our sins are washed away when we're baptized. And notice something else in verse 16. Calling on his name. Now again, there's denominations in the world. They say, you, how do you call on his name? Well, you pray a prayer of faith. You call on him. How do you do that? You've got to pray to do that. And that's not what the Bible says. And that's a choice. Are we going to believe what the Bible says and do what the Bible says? That is our choice. And when we're baptized, our sins are washed away. And we call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Remember, as the story goes in Acts chapter 9 and verse 18, that Paul changed his mind. No longer to delay, no longer to kick against the goads, and he was baptized that very day, obeying the Lord. We must do something to be saved. We must arise and be baptized. When we do that, we wash away our sins and call on the name of the Lord. Now go with me over to Revelation chapter 3 and I want us to notice something else now. Here are Christians and they're doing the wrong thing. Uh, they're, they're guilty of sin. And uh, Jesus Christ speaks to them through John in this revelation. In Revelation chapter 3. And this is the lukewarm church, Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, I know your deeds that... You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now these people had a serious problem. And they needed to, to do something about that. Look at verse 19. 19. Jesus says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Now, now just think about this for a second. If the Lord already decides who's going to be saved or lost before they're born, as a matter of fact, before he even created the world or the universe, and if he chose you to be saved, he's going to send the Holy Spirit upon you, he's going to make you be saved, and then there is the doctrine of once saved, always saved, once you've been saved, you can't be lost. Why would Jesus ever reprove or discipline anybody? You see, that's just absurd. But notice they had to do something. They had to make a choice to be zealous and repent. 
And my point with this is, yes, we must make a choice to obey the Lord, to be saved, to be baptized, but then as Christians, we're going to make mistakes and we have to make another choice. And that is whether or not we're going to obey the Lord, to be zealous and to repent and to correct that which is wrong. Notice verse 19. Uh, now, uh, excuse me, verse 20. Uh, now, again, th this, this verse 20, as was pointed out recently, is used many times in the world for those who are alien sinners, those who are not Christians. And this verse, verse 20, is used to say, well, all you got to do is pray a prayer, receive Jesus into your heart. Notice it's not ever spoken or said to any of those, only the Christians. As Christians, those who have already been baptized into Christ, when we make mistakes and we sin, we pray and ask for forgiveness. Other scriptures we could talk about with that. But there's an important word in this verse 20 I want to point out for us this morning. Behold, I stand at the door and knock if, if. You see, there's a choice. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, number one, we have to listen to Jesus, we have to hear him, and number two, we've got to open the door. What is he talking about here? These are Christians who are living in sin. They had shut Jesus out of their life and they needed to let him in again. And he says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him. So there's a choice that has to be made. We must open our hearts to Jesus and receive him back once again. Um. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, I, I want you to notice something with me. We're going to look at seven verses very quickly. And I want to make this point. To each of these seven churches, Jesus says that they must overcome. And whether or not we overcome or not, that is a choice. Look at these scriptures. Verse 7 to the church at Ephesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches to him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. That is a choice. Look down at verse 11. The church at Smyrna. Smyrna. He, who he, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. He who overcomes. That is a choice. Look down at Verse 17, the church at Pergamum. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. It is a choice to overcome and receive the reward of eternal life in heaven. That is a choice. And notice he's talking to Christians here. Not to those who are alien sinners who have never been baptized into Jesus Christ. This is a choice we must make as Christians to overcome. Verse 26, the church at Thyatira. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. That is a choice. And chapter 3, verse 5, to the church at Sardis. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. 
In chapter 3, verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And then in verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame. Jesus had to make the choice. And we have to make the choice too. And when we make the right choice, the choice to overcome sin and Satan, then we are rewarded for that. As Paul says to the Philippians, we obey God and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, we have to overcome. And that is our choice. The last point is that we must choose God over the world. That is a choice. Now, turn your Bibles with me over to Matthew chapter 7. And, and as we all think of, of, of our lives and our situations and, and where we are in life, the things that we confront, I want us to understand that it is a choice as to whether or not we're doing what we ought to do, whether or not we're obeying God. It is our choice. And we are in the situation we are in spiritually because of our own choice. And if we want to change that, we need to make the choice. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, I want us to see that most people in the world aren't going to make the right choice. And we need to understand that. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. That is important for us to know. What Jesus is saying, you must make different choices from the people in the world who are around about you. Most people around you are making the wrong choices and you can't make the same choices if you want to go to heaven. Turn your Bibles with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter... Oh, oh no, excuse me. We're going to go down to verse 21. 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Again, that's a choice. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And John says, all sin is lawlessness. In other words, we must choose what we're going to practice. Is it lawlessness or is it righteousness with God? That is our choice. Turn your Bibles with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and we'll look at two verses there and the lesson will be yours. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Choices. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership has unrighteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. It is our choice with whom we are bound together and with what partnership we have and what fellowship we have, it is our choice. Verse 17. 
Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. To choose God and to choose salvation is to reject the world, and that is a choice. To keep up with all of our worldly friends is to be lost with them. That is a choice. To be like the world is to be lost with the world. That is a choice. James says that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. To be God's enemy is a choice. To wish, notice what it says, to wish to be like the world. Just to wish to be like the world. We make ourselves enemies with God. To wish is a desire. It is a choice. As Christians, we choose to obey God and choose to reject the world and Satan that is a choice that everyone is called to make. To not make a choice for God is to make a choice for the devil. Nobody, nobody can say they've never made a choice. If we do not choose God, we have by default chosen the devil. That is our choice. And as we make these choices, then we make all sorts of other choices. When we choose God, then we make all sorts of other choices. We talked last time how spiritual, how spiritual we are. How much we accomplish in the kingdom. Those are all choices. So think about your life. Let's all be reminded it's a choice. And every person here has control over. Everybody has control over their life and the choices that they make. Think about that. Let's make sure we've made the right choices, number one. And let's make sure we are committed to make the right choices in the future and not be like the lukewarm church they had made some right choices and some wrong choices but to make all the right choices all the right choices let's make sure we do that now we're going to extend the gospel invitation if you'd like to get your songbook out number 279 he is able to deliver thee 279 he is able to deliver thee framed within this lesson you are able to make the right choices. God has enabled you to do that. And if anybody leaves here this morning having not made the right choice, it's nobody's fault but themselves. Maybe you need to make some choices you can just make there in your pew and you can pray the Lord and you can change your mind and change the choices you've made and that's great. You need to do that. I, I'm confident that you will. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. You need to make the choice to become a Christian, and you're going to need help doing that because you need to get up and be baptized. You need somebody to baptize you. And we're ready to help you with that today. What must you do if you're not a Christian today and you want to be a Christian? 
believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and willing to follow him as his disciple. Repent of your sins. That's to make the choice to change. No longer to do those things that are wrong, but to do those things that are right. And then to make your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and then to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Your sins will be washed away as you call upon the name of the Lord in the manner, manner he prescribed by being baptized into Jesus Christ. And you too, like the Ethiopian eunuch, will go on your way rejoicing because you've made the right choice. And you're now a child of God. If we can help you to all this morning, why don't you come to the front now as we stand and sing. <laughs>